Alright legends, welcome along to Skin Me Up Body. I'm your host, Rodney Stewart, and just before we get going with this episode of uh, Star Trek the original series, Shore Leave uh, we're gonna talk about in this one. Uh, just before we do that, I wanna just try and direct your attention towards coinsagemedia.com the official website for all this nonsense I've done a few little updates over there right now so uh, please uh, if you wouldn't mind going checking that out after you're finished with this podcast but anyway Star Trek the original series season 1 episode sure leave this is a nice little break away from the the real Hardcore drama that we had in the, the lead up, you know, a couple of episodes worth before this here was all fairly serious stuff. So we just needed a bit of a break. And what way are you going to take a break in this kind of atmosphere but to have a little bit of shore leave and, uh, for the characters and the viewers as well? So uh, this episode here has a nice little bit of comedy thrown in there. And ridiculousness as well, just for, you know, comedy that in all fairness, uh, by today's standards, was pretty much very much a, a product of its time. And some of the comedy moments in that there, like, um, these days you need to be very much aware of uh, how something can come across to someone uh, it could be highly offensive compared to how it can come across to other people now. Uh, it's just, you know, that's just today's world. That's where we're at right now. Uh, it's very, very easy to uh, be misunderstood on what you're saying. And I think now if this episode was put out by today's standards, brand new episode... There might be a few things in there that might be some people may take offence to, and um, you know there's a there's a part in the the episode where Ahura is not Ahura, sorry, Sulu is chased by a samurai. So it's the the musical elements to that sequence uh, was very much you know um, that kind of musical cue that would be towards his race more than anything else of course you know it's uh it's obvious that uh, a samurai would come from the background of his his people more or less um there's also uh finnegan a character finnegan that pops up in this episode an irish character who by today now and in all fairness this character would haven't been born, brought up in Northern Ireland. I would be classed as a British citizen, but I look at myself as, you know, Northern Irish as well. You know, I'm just kind of like, I don't, I don't class myself as one or the other. You know, I'm classed as a British citizen because of where I was born, the location. But, you know, you, you sit there and you look at the map and you say, like, look at it, Ireland here. It's all one section. But, you know, that can be... Even that perspective that I just came out with can be highly offensive to people in Ireland and Northern Ireland. It's classed as two different countries, even though it's one. But the character of Finnegan in this one here um, is very 
would be very highly offensive to other races if you if you did the same to another race of people as what they've done with Finnegan to the Irish in this episode. I think uh, it would be more offensive to other people than it would be to the actual Irish because you've got a great, great sense of humour whenever it comes to this sort of thing and they, the character of Finnegan in this is definitely um, very stereotypical of the Irish and that's, that's comedy it's just comedy at the end of the day but uh, it has to be said you know comedy is strange extremely strange these days and how it can be taken by somebody else it's just uh, it's a minefield let's just put it that way but anyway within the episode Shore Leave it's like the, the Enterprise has been through three months worth of just absolute hardcore duty for Starfleet and the crew they're they're tired they're worn out Captain Kirk as well in particular sitting in the the captain's seat he's got a sore back and uh human borrows attempts to alleviate his condition by giving him a, a bit of a massage and uh, you know, rubbing his shoulders from behind, and uh, Spock is also standing behind him. And uh, Kirk thinks it's Spock as soon as at the start, but he becomes embarrassed when he realizes that it's human borrows, and uh, he prompts her to stop what she's doing. And borrows suggests that he should take a rest, and with some additional prompting from from Spock, Kirk reluctantly agrees and that's that's a nice little bit of comedy, a nice comedy moment there on behalf of Spock at the beginning of this episode because it's the way that Kirk is motivated into taking some sure leave himself, he wasn't going to do it, he was going to get the planet checked out uh, there's an uninhabited planet that uh, could be possible for a nice little bit of sure leave but Kirk is fully ready to just stay on the Enterprise, do his duty and whatnot, even though he's clearly fatigued, needs some time off. And there's a nice little piece of comedy on behalf of Spock when he comes with a, a serious report about a, a crew member that's, you know, starting to slip up, he's starting to make mistakes, and, you know, it's only a matter of time before... Uh, somebody's going to get hurt because of how bad bad the performance is of this uh, crew member and Kirk is like, you know, this isn't good enough you know, we're going to have to do something with this crew member what's his name and Spock says, James T. Kirk enjoy your time off, Captain so it's nice little bit of comedy in there uh, really well done in this episode, I have to say um so, uh, let me see where are we at. Just before leaving the Enterprise, uh, Kirk, he has Lieutenant Ahura and Dr. McCoy's communicators channeled to his quarters so he can hear the doctor's report on the planet below. Uh, meanwhile, on the planet, uh, McCoy and Sulu are part of a landing party sent to investigate. McCoy finds the planet's 
green surface to be similar to something out of Alice in Wonderland. Anyway, he says this to Sulu. Uh, Sulu then leaves him on his own to go and investigate the planet's various cell structures. You know, he's going to do a bit of scanning and whatnot for the this the scientific curiosity of Starfleet. Um, McCoy, after having you know, talked about Alice in Wonderland, then witnesses a giant white rabbit that comes running across and comments that it'll be late and, and uh, disappears through a hole in the hedge. And a moment later, a little girl with blonde hair with an English accent dressed like Alice from Alice in Wonderland, she appears and she asks McCoy, have you seen a rabbit? McCoy at this point completely speechless at what's just happened in front of him uh, he just points at the hedge where the rabbit disappeared and the little girl courtesies and thanks McCoy uh, and then she disappears in the same direction as the rabbit McCoy screams out for Sulu who is, you know, he's busy cataloguing the, the plants and whatnot. Um, the helmsman asks the doctor what it, what's wrong but McCoy stares ahead at the hedge where the girl and the rabbit disappeared uh, still speechless and in disbelief so uh, the helmsman of the day the ship is down there too um, that's pretty much right before the, the opening credits of the episode and you know, it's just um, there's quite a bit of stuff that happens in this uh, this episode um, so the, the star date is 3025 they're orbiting a planet in the Omicron Delta region, a planet remarkably like Earth, or how we would remember Earth to be, a uh, park like beautiful green flowers, trees, green lawn, quiet, restful, almost too good to be true. Uh, so that's like in the, the, the captain's log at the beginning of the episode. Um... Human borrows notes on her pad that she does not see the captain's name in any of the, the scheduled show parties. Uh, you know, I'm sort of skipping back to some of the stuff we've already went through here. Um, but anyway, Lieutenant Rodriguez, Rodriguez is conducting a scan with his tricorder while Crewman Martin observes a leaf on a tree. Uh, Rodriguez is eager to get... The report's done before the captain asks him, though Martin cannot understand why Rodriguez wants to do work instead of enjoying the the planet. Uh, just then, Kirk and Burroughs materialise near them with the transporter, you know, the beam down. And Kirk tells them to finish up their scans and to go and enjoy themselves. And him and Burroughs walk around, enjoying how lovely, peaceful the planet appears to be. When they find McCoy, uh, McCoy shows them rabbit tracks. So he's obsessed now with what he's seen at this point. Um, indisputable, indisputable evidence, really, that I saw what I saw. Um, Kirk, suspicious about the evidence, contacts the Enterprise and orders Uhura to cancel all shore leave for the crew until further notice. Uh, Kirk's not willing to beam any of his crew down until the situation is proven harmless. So, you know, uh, 
everybody's kind of thinking like McCoy's crazy at this stage, but you know, the, all their scans and everything at this point has said that this planet is completely uninhabited. There should be nothing there. And the fact that there is physical tracks of like a giant rabbit, not just an ordinary rabbit, but a giant rabbit of all things. Kirk is like, you know what? Okay, we're just going to do this by the book. We're going to work this out before we let any of the rest of the crew down. So there's only a small handful of crew members on the surface at the moment. And uh, yes, um, just then Kirk, McCoy and Burroughs hear what sounds like gunshots. Uh, Kirk draws his phaser from his holster and runs towards the source of the loud sound with McCoy and Burroughs running just behind him and they find Sulu firing a pistol that Sulu has just found lying on the ground. Uh, Kirk asks Sulu you know, what he thinks he's doing. Uh, Sulu excitedly tells Kirk that he, he found an old thirty-eight police special, a pistol he's, he's always wanted in his collection. That's uh, one of old Earth's firearms and Sulu is like, you know, just like a child, like, uh, like a kid in Christmas morning with his bloody gun. Uh, Kirk confiscates the pistol from Sulu, figuring the planet has made him trigger happy. Uh, Burroughs notes some more footprints from McCoy's rabbit nearby. And Kirk r- recalls that the ship's sensors could find no animal life again. This is why he stopped the the uh, rest of the crew from coming down and uh, Kirk orders Burroughs and Sulu to investigate the tracks while he and McCoy head back to the glade where they beam down at when the officers separate McCoy and Kirk do not realise they are being scanned by a strange metal device resembling a TV antenna it's just what it looked like um, you know <laughs> uh, for all the amount of money that they put onto uh, the effects and the style and the look of this here show. You know, the, the ship, all the details, the bridge, everything. View screens, you know, transporting effects and whatnot. Then the very odd time something, I guess, would happen where something would be scanning them on the surface and it would just be like somebody holding the camera in one hand and like a TV aerial, like one of those wee TV aerials, uh, just in front of the camera. Just moving it along with the, like the, the the perspective of the camera, you know. Um, so there's just wee bits in these older shows where they just stepped down a wee bit in the the visual effect side of things, but doesn't make it any less. Uh, doesn't make it work any less. <laughs> um, Kirk he then tells his chief medical officer that. This is turning out to be a very unusual shore leave. And McCoy jokingly tells Kirk it could be worse. Kirk would have seen the rabbit instead of him. Then Kirk suggests McCoy is developing a persecution complex because of his incident. McCoy admits that he is feeling like he has been pecked on. At this, Kirk recalls being the victim of multiple practical jokes from a cadet at the academy named Finnegan. So here we go. The wee Irish character is about to pop up very soon. Um, Kirk recalls being quite grim during his years at the academy, something which delighted Finnegan, an upper-classman uh, to no end, 
and Kirk remembers Finnegan as someone who would have who would leave a bowl of cold soup in your bed or a bucket of water propped in a half open door. As I say, uh, the characters is uh, Finnegan in this episode as a, a prankster, an idiot, and very he's not a kick in the ass away from what a lot of us guys would be like whenever we're trying to have a fun with someone. Um, uh, yeah. But anyway, um, where are we at? And um, you never know where he'd strike next. That's the last thing Kirk says about Finnegan. Uh, Kirk sees more tracks in front of them as well as a girl's footprints. And Kirk and McCoy follow the rabbit and he decides to backtrack to the girl. So they're searching for both the rabbit and Alice at this point. Kirk follows the tracks and to his surprise finds his old academy nemesis Finnegan um, Kirk is in disbelief that Finnegan's even on the planet appearing as he did at the academy 15 years prior and uh, Finnegan's like you never know where I'm going to strike hmm Jim how's this <laughs> Finnegan punches Kirk in the face and the captain clenches his jaw in pain and Finnegan starts to taunt him, and he is an utter deckhead. <laughs> you know, he's just widening Kirk up as hard as he can throughout this entire episode. And uh, Finnegan taunts him, telling him that, you know, come on, lay one on me, Jim. I know it's always what you wanted to do. Kirk smiles at this, and he begins to wrestle with Finnegan. Then he hears human burrows screaming in the distance and leaves Finnegan to find horror and McCoy running beside him as well. They find Burroughs sobbing, her Starfleet uniform is torn and tattered. And after getting herself together, Burroughs says that her attacker wore a cloak and had a dagger with jewels on it. McCoy said it sounded like Don John. And Burroughs recalls that just before she she was attacked, she was daydreaming about the storybook like setting on the planet and thinking that uh, all a girl needs is Don John. And uh, Kirk asks where Sulu is and Burroughs says that he went chasing after the attacker. Um, Kirk and McCoy stay with Burroughs and, and goes, yeah, Kirk has McCoy, sorry. Uh, he tells McCoy to stay with Burroughs and he goes after Sulu. Uh, Kirk is observed again by the metal tracking device, the old TV aerial sort of thing, looking thing. While he's looking for Sulu, and Kirk runs across the planet's rocky terrain, we end up on a Star Trek mountain again. You know, there's always. Um, I can't even recall. I need to look up where that's, that location is actually at. There's this mountain. That always popped up on every alien planet and Star Trek at one stage or another. That uh, mountain's just it's just a big massive boulder, more or less. And you know and it was on Bill and Ted's bogus journey as well and the countless other shows and movies and and uh, the last thirty years like and just that's a location I would love to go and check out at some point. So I always call it Star Trek Mountain, no matter what I see it on. And uh, yeah. But anyway, um, Kirk uh, is in the rocky terrain of the planet and he's looking for Sulu when he comes across some flowers that he 
as it reminded about someone or, uh, from his past and just then a beautiful woman and a dress comes towards him uh, a girl called Ruth that Kirk knew from his past the woman tells him that it is indeed Ruth uh, who he thinks she is and she, she kisses him in the cheek um, so then we get uh, another little update on the, the captain's log and uh, yeah uh, investigation of this increasingly unusual unusual planet continues as we are seeing things and cannot possibly exist yet they are undeniably real so we pick it up again with Kirk sitting with Roof uh, Kirk tries to contact McCoy and his communicator but he can't get hold of him He's distracted by the, the girl's presence and wonders how it can be possible for her and how she has not appeared to age since the last time he saw her. It was 15 years ago prior, just exactly the same as Finnegan. So he's just, he's, you know, what the heck's going on here? You know, it's like the, there's a big time gap between everything that I'm seeing here. It's just like, but it's... With us as the viewer, we know exactly what's going on here. It's like, uh, you know, things have been... Their memories have been brought to life, essentially. Stuff they're thinking about. It's not, you know, it's very, very obvious from day one uh, in this episode what's going on. It's just why it's going on, we don't know. Kirk's communicator beeps at McCoy. The doctor asks if he's found Sulu, but Kirk says he's, he's not got hold of him yet. Uh, and halting responses intoxicated Beruf's presence and beauty. In a mellow, distracted voice, Kirk tells his medical officer that he's sure Sulu's going to be okay. Uh, McCoy asks if Kirk's alright. Kirk says he is, and he ends the communication with him. Lieutenant Rodriguez is now reports to the captain that he saw a whole flock of birds flying uh, when the sensors said that the the, uh, the planet had no life forms on it. Because uh, the surveys not have been that wrong uh, Kirk is weakened from his days by what Rodriguez has said and he, he's like you know he's kind of like at this point he's even questioning the sensor readings you know if everything's maybe all the sensors are wrong but could they be wrong you know it's just like you know uh, kind of brings him back to his senses slightly and uh, yes he gets he has Rodriguez rendezvous with the search parties at the Glade, uh, Kirk reluctantly leaves Ruth. Uh, she tells him, do what you have to do, and I'll be waiting for you. Um, Spock calls from the Enterprise, and he has detected an energy field in the surface of the planet. One that is draining the Enterprise's power and interfering with communications. Uh, the patterns are consistent with industrial activity. Uh, the first officer suggests perhaps subterranean. Subterranean, that's a big word. Uh, Kirk asks to be kept posted and tells Spock they will continue with their investigation down on the planet and ends the communication and continues the search for Sulu. Uh, meanwhile, McCoy and Burroughs are walking together through the the gardens and the trees and stuff and she's feeling better from her earlier ordeal but would not want to be alone here she thinks that a girl in this place uh, like this should be dressed like a fairy tale princess 
with a tall hat and a veil. Uh, McCoy tells her that she would then have whole armies of Don Johns to fight off. Uh, so he's flirting with her and whatnot and dirty wee hagin. Um <laughs> They look into each other's eyes and hold hands and just then, to surprise McCoy, Burroughs spots the princess dress that she was just fantasizing about. So like again, everything they're thinking about in this episode is coming true. And encouraged by McCoy, she begins to change into it behind a bush and uh, tells the doctor not to peek. Uh, McCoy then is contacted by Rodriguez, uh, but the channel is not clear on the communicators. They can hardly make each other out. Uh, Rodriguez and Martin are holding tightly onto each other and leaning onto a tree as a very dangerous thing has appeared near them, a tiger. So uh, Rodriguez slowly moves his communicator to his mouth to contact McCoy for help but can't reach him uh, they're just frozen in fear at this point um, meanwhile Kirk orders the Spock to come up with an answer for everything that has happened citing McCoy's Alice in Wonderland Vision, Sulu's gun Rodriguez's birds and two people uh, he himself just saw uh, Kirk discounts Spock's suggestions that they are merely hallucinations as Kirk feels the impact of Finnegan's fist on his jaw. Uh, Spock notes that there must be a logical explanation for all this. Of course, that's the first thing you're going to get from Spock. Uh, Kirk's communicator signal is weak despite being on maximum gain. And Spock asks if he should send down a contingent of security officers, but Kirk says that they, the landing party is armed with phasers and is currently in no real danger. Uh, yet Kirk then looks up and sees the, the birds that Rodriguez had seen. Elsewhere, Sulu is suddenly under attack by a samurai, as I did say at the beginning of the podcast here. Uh, he just emerges out of a hatch in the ground, which that's hilarious where that samurai comes from and the way that it's done. Uh, brilliant um, um, he aims as Phaser tries to fire at the samurai but the, the weapon doesn't work Sulu tries again but the, the Phaser fails uh, he dodges the samurai's sword runs away while frantically trying to get away from the samurai Sulu runs into Kirk breathlessly warning the, the captain about the samurai coming behind him Although no samurai appears, he he's gone at this point. Kirk and Sulu note that their communicators and phasers are inoperative and the captain suggests that they make their way back to the glade. Uh, just then Sulu notes uh, a beam down nearby. Someone's trying to materialise from the Enterprise. Uh, uh, something's obstructing it and we discover that it's at Spock. And after fully getting through and they beam in uh, Spock remarks that he will that he will be the last to be beamed down the transporter is now also inoperable inoperative uh, notwithstanding Kirk's orders that nobody else should beam down Spock concluded that they communicate with communications out it was necessary for him to discuss his findings with the captain 
the planetary field soaks up energy at the source. Uh, they are stranded on the planet until they can ultimately figure out what's going on. Um, then again, a, t- a tiger then makes its way near them. Kirk orders Sulu and Spock to spread out to find the source of the energy. Um, Kirk had instructed the land party through Rodriguez to rendezvous at the beam down point and the glade. Uh, there McCoy encounters a black knight and convinced they cannot kill him uh, and that's not real. He stands his ground and ends up taking a lance right through the chest. Burroughs screams, Kirk shoots the knight with the, the 38 police special gun that appeared earlier on in the episode. So Kirk's you know, smart enough to realise, okay, right, our communicators aren't working, our phasers aren't working, but this gun that was materialised on the planet from the fantasy from Sulu may work on the rest of these things. So uh, McCoy playing a hunch, a dangerous hunch, thinking, okay, these things can't actually harm you if they're not real, uh, actually gets killed by this damn thing. And Kirk shoots him down with a gun and... Uh, the knight falls off the horse and Kirk and Spock run to check on McCoy and uh, discover that he's dead. So we jump into a supplemental on the captain's log this time. Uh, all contact with Enterprise has been lost. We're trapped here on the surface. Uh, our ship's surgeon, my personal friend, is dead. We're certain now that whatever we're facing is terribly real. Um, so the Latin party... Stunned by McCoy's death, and us as the viewer too, because it's, it's a bit of a slap in the teeth for the viewer at this point in the episode, because as I say, it started off as a real breakaway from the real drama of the previous few episodes in the lead up to this one, and it was kind of like, you know, sure leave for the, the crew and sure leave for the viewer as well, more or less. We were having a bit of fun in this episode up to this point, but then they had to give a the death of a main character and the main, one of the main characters being McCoy like one of the main three of the series um, yeah Burroughs in particular is sobbing she's hysterical blaming herself Kirk brings her to her feet and tells her he needs every crewman alert and thinking uh, so they can be prepared for anything that's going to come along and she does her best to calm down and remain focused. Uh, meanwhile, Sulu calls for Kirk to come over to the body of the Black Knight. His face is clearly unreal. It's like a fake person. Looks like a mannequin. Spock performs an analysis with uh, Sulu's tricorder and finds that the knight is definitely a mechanical construct and it has the same basic cell structure as the plants, trees and grass of the entire planet. Uh, elsewhere in the planet, Rodriguez and Martin spot a Japanese Zero fighter aircraft flying through the air. To Rodriguez's amazement, uh, Martin asks if, if it can hurt them. Uh, Rodriguez assures her it can't so long as it doesn't perform a strafing run on them, unfortunately. No sooner said than done. The aircraft gets closer, 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 takes a shot at them. 
they run trying to get away from what Rodriguez realizes that his words were prophetic. So it's just like, you know, the think about things, and then he said, you know, they only get hurt if this happens, and then the the plane does it. Um, he tells Martin to run, and the ground is hit by gunshots as they flee uh, from the machine gun fire. Rodriguez makes it to safety, but Martin falls unconscious, apparently hit. Um, just as Kirk, Sulu, Spock and Burroughs are distracted by the Japanese aircraft. Aircraft? Why can't I say that word properly? Aircraft. Flying through the air, McCoy's body disappears. Um, along with the Black Knight. Shortly, uh, yeah, the Black Knight's gone, McCoy's gone at this point. Spock then comes to the conclusion that these artifacts can be just as real as they appear to be deadly. Uh, Spock asks Kirk what he was thinking at the time. Kirk starts to mention Finnegan, and then Finnegan reappears. So, uh, you know, Spock has it sorted. He's He knows exactly what's happening at this point. He just doesn't know how. Um... So, uh, yeah, Finnegan starts on Kirk again, taunting him and whatnot, and Kirk goes after him, personally wanting to find out what's been happening to his people. Uh, he chases after Finnegan and orders Spock to join with Sulu and find McCoy's body. Uh, after a long run to intercept Finnegan, Kirk is jumped by Finnegan, and they get into a massive fight, and uh, Finnegan's like, I've... I've got the age, I'm still 20 years old, look at you, you're an old man, you know, so it's real, uh, real taunting going on here, and uh, Kirk attacks him, punching him a few times until he falls on his back, and they basically beat each other senseless until neither one of the two of them are able to stand up, and uh, yes, uh, when Kirk awakens, he gets beat senseless by Finnegan and <laughs> knocked out. Uh, when he awakens, he's no closer to answers than he wants. Although Finnegan's comment that I'm being exactly what you'd expect me to be, Jimmy boy, might be a clue. Uh, they resume fighting. This time Kirk knocks Finnegan out. But beating the tar out of Finnegan one last time makes up for a lot of past... Uh, you know, hurts and whatnot, and like Finnegan spent his time making a fool out of Kirk at the the academy, and uh, a fact that Spock finds in lightning after finding Kirk, having a realization. Kirk says, "We're all meeting people and things that we happen to be thinking about at the moment." Spock replies, "Yes, somehow our thoughts are real. Uh, these things are quickly manufactured and provided for us." Uh, he and Kirk realise the truth and all of the artefacts and representations of everyone's wishes are fulfilled by fantasy. Um, this implies that some form of telepathy has been used. Uh, outrunning the tiger, which reappeared nearby when Spock mentioned it, and uh, making it past the samurai, he turns up again. They gather the Latin party at the, the Glade where they originally beamed down at. Kirk instructs them to remain at attention and to not think about anything. And at this point, 
it's a good job I wasn't a crew member of the Enterprise because like if somebody said to me, okay, right, here's what we need to do. Help me your heads. Don't think about anything. We've only got one shot at this. <laughs> the choice is made. <laughs> the traveller has arrived. There'd be a damn 100 foot marshmallow man in this episode if I was part of the crew at that point. Um, an elderly man then appears, identifying himself as the caretaker and confirms the guess that Spurk, Spurk, there's a new name for you, Spock and Kirk. That's like a cross between Kirk and Spock, Spurk. Um, Yes, this old guy, this old man, turns up and he uh, identifies himself as the caretaker. He confirms the guess and has people constructed the planet as a playground. Anything one can think of can be manufactured, and none of it is permanent. Uh, Sulu wonders how a race can be so advanced as the caretaker's people uh, are, and yet still need, still have the need to play. To Kirk it makes perfect sense. The more complex the mind is, the greater the need for the simplicity of play. When Kirk mentions the death of his friend McCoy, uh, McCoy reappears alive and well. And as a bonus on each arm, he has a coarse girl from a, a cabaret on Rigel 2 he once visited. Burroughs uh, isn't happy with this. Reclaims McCoy from the two coarse girls who attach themselves to other members of the crew, uh, such as Sulu and Spock. Uh, the caretaker offers them the use to use the, the shore leave planet to the crew uh, while cautioning them to take care what they summon uh, he will not comment on his species or their home planet saying uh, that he believes that the, the Enterprise crew are not yet ready to understand his people um, but uh, he offers them the planet anyway uh, they're a bit too advanced for the human race at this point uh, Kirk plans to beam down shore leave parties for the, the best shore leave they've ever had and he prepares to leave to go back to the, the Enterprise. Uh, but then the woman, Ruth, appears, changing his mind uh, back in the Enterprise at the very end of the episode. Spock asks Kirk and McCoy if they enjoyed their rest, and they both confirm that they certainly did. Uh, Spurk, Spurk, once again, why am, I, why am I always saying Spurk? Spock comments, this is most illogical. Kirk then orders Sulu to depart at warp one and they leave the unusual world after their little shore leave. Um this is a great, great little episode. I enjoyed this quite a bit and I didn't think I was gonna be talking quite as long about it. We're nearly at the forty minute mark here. But uh, as I say, these older shows there's a heck of a lot of stuff that happened in these episodes. Um First aired 29th of December 1966. Wow. Uh, the remastered version of it aired 26th of May 2007. So, great, great little episode. And a little, just one of those episodes that definitely got you uh, looking at the right hand and not seeing what the left hand was about to do, especially with the, the, the death of McCoy in there. But uh, McCoy definitely did get punctured in the chest and killed essentially but they 
the race of the, these people are that far advanced they're able to bring them back essentially in this episode that's a great great little episode from the original series um, a nice break away from the the hardcore duty of the, the, the previous episodes and uh, yes just a nice little bit of short leave for both the crew and the viewer anyway that's going to do it guys uh Come back tomorrow for another episode of Skim Me Up Body. And until then, whatever you're doing, I hope you do it safe. This has been a production of Coins Edge Media. Thank you so much for listening.